As always, a huge thank you to Starboard, who are once again this season's main sponsors. Starboard has a history of innovation across water sports, starting in 1994 by revolutionising the design of windsurf boards, and they've brought that bang up to date recently, bringing foil windsurfing onto the Olympic stage with their IQ foil package. Starboard got behind stand-up paddleboarding in a huge way in the early days and continued to lead the industry to reduce their environmental impact. Their focus on innovation brought them seven world champions at the ICF Worlds last year, and all of them were using their Lima paddle range. They continue to improve and innovate their boards and their paddles for all abilities across all flavours of the sport, including adventure. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. Well, welcome to this final episode of 2023, when we reflect on the year that's just passed and we look ahead to 2024. And we've got interviews with a number of old and new friends of the show with updates and reflections. And I get to talk all of this through with Sarah Thornley from Sup Junkie UK. Sarah, welcome back to Sup FM. Thank you very much, Simon. It's great to be here. So this year we did a season about the Yukon 1000, which was yet another ultra adventure race and one that certainly I felt was fully immersive. And Yukon 1000 is an unsupported 1000 mile race through one of the world's last true wildernesses where man isn't the apex predator. And um, it's a race with a very tight time frame for achievement of slow languid drift downstream it certainly isn't and we had two sub teams competing in it this year and from the start it was a busy 10 days and if you haven't listened to the series then please give it a listen day one campsite was horrific uh very similar uh, very similar to martin's um and kim's where we had to portage across stones and anyway, day two we obviously had our just after uh, five fingers, but there you pull your boards up. You got your, you get your uh, bear spray out. You're walking around. You're analysing every print and trying to guess its age. You know, and trying to make a decision and looking for stat. And you know, you've got a knife nearby. Like, what would that really do? Um, uh, uh, you know, day seven, you pull up, you take a glancery look around, and you fall asleep on the floor. And you literally, you know, it's like you're basically like if a bear wants me. You can have me. I stink of it. You don't know what you did. You, you, I had great faith in the smell of, of 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 eight days not getting undressed that would keep any bear away. And you talk yourself into these mind games, you know. And it's like, um, and it, it's because you're, you know, physically you, we found a routine. Yes, you you got blisters. Um, things ache. You know, you need to stretch. But you're just you're looking after those things, and you're treating any blisters or scratches or cuts or things. But the mind has all this time to kind of like just it, it can't think of anything complicated. So it goes to it almost goes to the the most simplistic thing it thinks about. So it's looking at a map, it's looking at a timer, and then it's filling the rest of the time with paranoia. Um, as I'm a very competitive person, but like, I'd look back and you'll see a tree, a floating tree. Is that is that them? Christ, we've 
we've been too, we've, we've been too slack, Skip. We've, we've taken too, we've, we've floated too long resting. Um, and you know, in hindsight, I know now that really, like you know, it's mind games. Um, but it's a yeah, it's a it's a it's a thing you can't train for. Uh, like sleep, like sleep deprivation. It's nothing you can train for. As we said before, the reason the kayaks and canoes leave a day late than everyone else is so that because they are faster, that the idea is that all the teams will kind of roughly be in the flats at the right at the same time. And having now done having now done the race, we think we can all understand exactly why that's a very good idea, because at that part of the river, it's actually the most dangerous and confusing. You're, you're most tiredest. Um, uh, common sense beats any map and common sense at that point is it, it's <laughs> lowest. Um, the river changes so much every winter because of the, uh, because of the ice melt, but it looks like a war zone. It looks like napalm's gone through the, there's no banks. The trees are just floating and the, the, the flow, you know, you know, you need to go 20 K that way, but the flow goes around this way. And then you go where you think you should go. And you suddenly hit a sandbar, which is just under the water. And because the water is so cloudy, you didn't see it. And it's just, uh, it's hard to explain to anyone about being there, but, you're in it for nearly two days. It's huge. And you've you spent 800 miles using maps and GPS to pretty much good use. And you get to this point and it's, it's like, it's like the final, you, the way I saw it, it was like, it was the final challenge. It's an ultra ultra race it's a fascinating lesson and happily i can reveal everyone got to the finishing stage in one piece so let's move back to the icf championships in thailand which have only recently been completed in late november and there were some phenomenal performances delivered there seychelles came back to sprint gold at icf uh, which is an incredible. She's been away from the scene for a while now and to have her back in top spot was absolutely incredible. But uh, it was the usual suspects, wasn't it, in terms of um, the other performances, all of the, the people that we've talked about, Noet um, and his brother, um, Espe, um, La Fenetra, um, and I think there was on a Baxter in there. Um, we had some great performances in there as well from our own domestic athletes verity thomas um did really well in the technical who would you say are the standout performances sarah oh from the international field uh, seychelle i mean yeah what a woman i mean she's come back from having a baby and having had some time off and i don't know just i think maybe you know things have changed up for her she's a bit more relaxed about it i mean she's training hard but you know your mindset maybe changes and you become you know have a bit more fun with it and be a bit more relaxed about it. It's not the most important thing in your world anymore. You know, your baby is, your child is. Um, and to see her come back and just dominate that sprint, the sprint heats and the race. I mean, she was just ecstatic, wasn't she, to, to win that. Um, no, it won for the for the men. Um, and then in the distance and the tech, uh, Espe again, all over that. And one of those was, you know, she didn't expect to win it. I can't remember which one it was, but she was amazed that she won it she didn't expect to win the distance and the tech but what a what an athlete you know I've I've seen those I've seen that Spanish team train at Fuerteventura we went there a little while ago and um, I've actually seen the team training and they are on it Mm. every day you know beach starts 
off to the paddling to the island. They are just um, incredible athletes training every day more than once a day so you know they they absolutely deserve their success uh noick again he he won the sprints and the distance and then connor back to just slipped in there for the tech um you know not written off yet don't write me off i'm i'm amazing and he still is amazing uh, if you've seen connor do a, a a tech beach start and his sort of bunny hopping down the you know through the water it's quite something to watch um and verity i'm just so thrilled for her we were at the ICF event in Poland last year and Verity picked up an injury and couldn't, couldn't race. Uh, and, you know, it took her a little while to sort of get back to form and to see her race of really clever, clever, clever race. Um, and to get that, you know, get that medal. I was just absolutely delighted for her. She's a really, really strong athlete. And I think now that that, that's been cemented i think she will she will continue to rise um yeah absolutely made up for parity brilliant stuff it was a great performance and i might be biased i think you might be biased as well but there was one other athlete who for me was the standout performer of the the competition in the 50 plus masters category someone who's had a huge significance to the sport in the uk is obviously marie buchanan and thank goodness you were on the call when we spoke to her because i think i'd given my microphone covid because it refused to work so thank you very much for asking the questions of her you really helped me out there and um, the first question that you asked Marie was about her experiences of racing in Thailand oh um well it was my first trip to Thailand so um didn't really know what to expect it was my second time at the ICF Worlds um last year having done Poland I knew that it was an intensive week of racing and I did all three disciplines again, um, as I did in Poland. Uh, and it was in- incredible, probably definitely the biggest event that I've ever been to. Um, but also, you know, throughout every single age group category, the competition was just immense, really. I can just speak for, for my 50 plus uh, age category. And that was just full of people from all over the world. Um, and I don't think I'd actually competed against any of them before. So I really didn't know where I would sit in that field. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a really strong, strong field of women, all ages, not just just 50 I, I was one of the youngsters this year actually so you know, it was an incredible experience um and yeah the opportunity to go and see um, starboard hq um it's my first time there too was just the icing on the cake really i asked marie about her incredible success in this year's championships and i started with the question about her experience of competing in a new age category at the icf last year as you know i had a bit of a battle because it was the first year that i'd even i sort of dropped out of open and decided to go into my age group category and and that was quite hard because i'm still sort of at the top on a good day in the uk and managed to qualify for the isa worlds and that wasn't age group that was just in my own right and so it's really hard to sort of step away from that really and you kind of think well am I just you know am I just sort of giving into this aging process thing but actually you know there is a reason for it um and it's just so satisfying competing against people that you know are the same age as you you've got your own all on an even keel 
Uh, and it's just lovely meeting these ladies from around the world. So inspiring, um, you know, and, and, you know, so the lady that came, um, Marley from New Zealand, hope she doesn't mind me saying, but she's in her later 50s and just incredible. And, and for me, you know, it's been a quite a, a difficult transition as it is for all women, I think. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, coming from 40 to 50 um, and you're constantly sort of learning to manage yourself again, as you do throughout your career really um but particularly as you get older in your body is 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 half of it really <laughs> as well as the skill and you know all the rest of it so yeah it was it's incredibly incredibly inspiring um knowing that actually you know I've still got you know age isn't you can't use age as, as an excuse <laughs> I guess my strong strongest event is probably uh, endurance particularly um on the sea and in some sort of wind or or wave or something that you know makes you sort of get your head down and <laughs> a bit of a battle really um and I guess from all my years of experience not just um, competing in stand-up paddleboarding but also windsurfing as well I think that all adds to that my ability to be able to sort of cope with all sorts of conditions really and so I think it did work in my favor the distance race was was only 10k for the um so it was two laps of a 5k lap course um but it was windy offshore um so we had a brutal side wind for most of the way and we had it worse because it was windier first thing in the morning we the the ladies 50 plus set off um at eight o'clock at 8 30 i think it was in the morning and so the first lap the wind did drop um for the second lap but the first lap was just incredibly tough and i, I think though just like poland i think there are a few um did not finishes <laughs> um, um but yeah, as I said, that did work in my favour. As you probably remember, the technical race was my nemesis, really. Um, last year, um, I won every heat going into the final um, and then made a really silly mistake on the last turn. Um, and I think you were watching me, weren't you, Sarah, on the beat? And I've been over and over that in my head and just, you know, praying that I wasn't going to make the same mistake again. Um, which I think helped because I knew that I just had to make it seamless really and make it no room for error. Um, and so I was, I think winning the technical race was probably my proudest thing. Um, because I felt like I'd, I'd done that. My race starts were, were pretty good. Um, and yeah, I, <coughs> I felt like I, couldn't really have, have performed any better. Finally, I asked Marie how she keeps delivering year after year at such a high level and what were her plans for 2024? I think I just, uh, just as you say, I keep it fresh. Um, for me, that works. I, I need to mix things up. I, I get very bored if I get, if I stick to or anything routine really. Um, I'm not much good at routines, if I'm honest, and that's why I like the sea, because it throws different things at you all the time. Um, and so my tr typical training week is really governed by the weather. <laughs> if it's windy, my go-to is wind and waves. So if it's windy and wavy, I'll be going, you know, out trying to get catch some bumps, um, catch some waves. 
um um you know you'll rarely see me in the gym I have to say but as you get older I do have to do the maintenance work to keep my body you know working really um and to make sure I don't get any overuse injuries so I do some off-water stuff which is generally pilates and yeah pilates really um a little bit of strength training body weight exercises and yeah occasionally you'll find me in the gym um, I'm I'm just enjoying sort of just taking it taking a step back I, I I don't I haven't got this sort of massive urge to do anything at the moment I think I'm just happy just um holidating on my achievements for this year um guess I didn't really um my aim for this year wasn't um it was until they announced the worlds were in Thailand yeah I think um unexpectedly I qualified for the um England team for the ISA worlds and the Europeans this year so my goals kind of changed because I wasn't expecting that and so, but then I realized that actually I was trying to do too much and I actually got COVID <laughs> um, after the Worlds, um, which made the decision for me, really. I had to pull out of the Europeans, um, which actually was the best thing because I could have done, really, because it meant that I could just then uh, gear myself, you know, put myself in the best possible state for for the Worlds. Um, and I think if that hadn't happened, I would have probably arrived pretty exhausted, if I'm honest, because these days at 50, it does take it out of me. <laughs> and I think I just have to be smarter. So I haven't set my goals. I I would like to go to um, Florida um, and compete because it was just such an amazing experience. Um, but I haven't, I haven't uh, decided for sure. Um, I would love one day to do the Molokai um that would be you know before i retire <laughs> from competing i definitely would like to do the molokai and so if that opportunity came up then um i might sacrifice other things to do that but um yeah at this stage i'm sort of keeping keeping things open the other thing that i really enjoyed doing is the great glen which i didn't do this year because it just would have been too much um so there's a possibility that I might go back and do the Great Glen next year. This year, we also covered Race for Rivers, where we both spent a very enjoyable two days on the River Way, um, kicking off that fantastic initiative. Uh, it was a, a relay event and covered 642 kilometres of the British waterways with uh, measurements of the water being taken every five kilometres. And the idea was to support some of the non-measurement, which isn't happening at the moment on British waterways. So that was a, a great experience, Sarah. I don't know whether uh, paddling with me for two days was uh, quite the treat for you as well, but uh, we certainly had a good good overnight and, and it was quite a magical couple of days, I felt anyway. And, and the sun shone for, for us, didn't it? We were really lucky and we were equally lucky. It wasn't just you and I. So to split us up a little bit, we had Skip, yes. um, the lovely Scott, um, Skip Innes, who came and joined us and he'd fresh off the Yukon. Um, he came and guided us through the, you know, the wilds of uh, the riverway and found us a 
really beautiful little camping spot what we you know we wouldn't have managed without him let's put it that way Simon um but it was it was really lovely to be involved actually and I was asked to do it to sort of start start the race for rivers off um I was like yeah of course I'll do that and and then you look into it and you realize what it's all about and um and the, the start was just really lovely, wasn't it? Because we had the school children down who were very interested in the project. And obviously they're the future. We had the mayor um, seeing us off and we started on, you know, my local water. So the riverway in Godalming and off we set. I think there were about 10 of us um, and to paddle with Lizzie as well. Mm. Um, the last time I saw Lizzie was at an a- APP World Tour in London 2018. Um, so really nice to sort of reconnect with her and uh, just to be doing something incredibly worthwhile and testing that water and learning all about that was uh, really lovely so we had two days one overnight um no tent for me you had your tent you had a little friend in oh, with I you, did yeah you? the frog as it attacked me but uh, luckily I survived <laughs> it, yeah it was, it was a lovely experience it was a lovely experience um and it was kind of both um light and shade because one of the surprising things about the River Way is there was very little litter as we went down. So if you were just looking at the water, you wouldn't think there's any problem at all. It was absolutely beautiful. But obviously the monitoring is the key piece. It's the stuff that you can't actually see with your eyes. And um, in previous monitoring, the quality had not been good. So um, I recently had a chat with Lizzie just to reflect on uh, her year and also race for rivers and before we got into the detail of race for rivers uh, i congratulated her on another very well earned award the 2023 inspirational person award which was a recognition award run by british canoeing and voted on by the public yeah it's um very humbling i didn't actually find out until um today so it's it's all very new but I'm really thrilled it was um it was just really nice to be nominated and obviously it was a public vote as well um so to have that support from my community behind me it just means a lot really yeah I mean the biggest challenge was coordinating hundreds of volunteers to come and um paddle sections of the country's waterways um, consecutively using one paddleboard to travel that entire distance, so 642 kilometres. Um, but we did it. It was, it, do you know what? I've obviously done a lot of challenges independently on my own, just kind of gone and done um, like a big endurance paddle, that kind of thing. Um, and there's a lot of logistics and a lot of organising, but it's just yourself you need to worry about. Um, whereas this was obviously on a, a, a very different and a much bigger sort of scale. Um, so there was a few sleepless nights and um, getting over the finish line was it's a kind of a different sense of achievement, I suppose. And it does when you're when when done when you're on your own, um, but still an achievement. It was incredible. You're right. Like the first couple of days, we had sort of what 10, 15 of us out on the water on the first day. Um, and we did have great conditions and we were going downstream on the river way as well so everything was in our favor apart from the water quality which actually was incredibly poor on that section of the route um but as we traveled sort of um upstream on the thames towards oxford oxford canal was um horrendous in the very sort of the, the tail end of the the thames before we came off on the oxford canal and um, really really heavy um downpours 
um, a lot of headwind. So there were sections and there were days throughout the journey where people really, really struggled. And not everyone is uh, or was an experienced paddler doing that challenge. There were a lot of sort of fairly novice paddlers out there um, who really, you know, who really sort of had to dig deep and um, and get through it. And they did. And it was incredible. So we've just finished crunching the numbers for Race for Rivers. And the the headline um, insight that we've uh, found is that 83% of um, tests or sites um, failed for um, poliform bacteria. It's tricky to explain, but um, they tested positive for coliform bacteria, which means they failed that test. Um, and coliform bacteria is essentially sewage pollution. So we've got 83% of our rivers that we've tested um, that are clearly in urgent need of more monitoring and closer inspection. And then we had phosphate tests, 74% of those failed um, against sort of the national standard and around 42% of our nitrate tests failed um, the sort of the national standard as well, the guideline threshold. So overall, the results are pretty poor. And that's across, what, 640-odd kilometres of waterways, testing every sort of five kilometres thereabouts en route. So there were two competing elements in play on our day two paddle, which was the unbelievable beauty of the water, the wildlife and the countryside it went through. And then the results from the monitoring, which showed it was one of the most polluted stretches on the route. So, you know, I don't know whether you've had a chance to have a look through some of the outputs, but the River Way was, was probably one of the most polluted areas in the, the run all the way up to, to Penrith. Yeah, I'll be really truthful. I haven't actually looked at the um, the stats, but I did obviously pick up that the Riverway was again filthy. And as you say, it you know it's my it's where I train, it's where I paddle, it's where I'll take people you know if they want to learn or want to come out paddling with me. And it's beautiful, you know, it's classic English countryside. You know, green trees, fields, a little bit of urban paddling, which I really don't mind at all. And you know, I've, I've actually been testing, you know, PFDs in that water and throwing myself in. And I'm not sure I'll be doing that again. When you see the results come through, um, it's shocking. Mm. Uh, and thank goodness for Lizzie Carr for doing what she's doing. Uh, it all used to be about plastic patrol. Now it's more about the water quality or this particular um, testing was all about the water quality. And, you know, she she's great because she, you know, she's got an MBE. She will take those results to to the government and to number 10 and she will put them under their noses or to the environmental agency and you know she's doing something for the good of all of us you know all of us water users so for her to get this award um and to be voted um you know get that inspiration in person award uh i think is is brilliant for her she's absolutely. very very worthwhile absolutely and and what she does is so clever because she connects people she connects people with the water and then she uses the data in order to to leverage change and since she's been doing that i noticed that um you know other organizations in that area have, have continued to to follow that sort of model of operations because if you don't have the data you don't have the proof and i think you know uh, 
one doesn't want to be too cynical about the lack of measurement but uh, you know clearly if things aren't measured then there is no problem so um, absolutely applaud what it is that she's doing and uh, you know if you want to find out about Planet Patrol I'd really recommend that you um, visit the website and link in the show notes here and uh, also download the Planet Patrol app to your phone or your cell and there's lots of stuff you can do on there in terms of registering any rubbish that you you come across and how the organization uses that is they use it to to evidence the refuse and litter and it allows them to apply leverage to those organizations so all data is good data um but you can check that out on planet patrol's website okay so moving on Last Paddler Standing is in its second year. It runs out of Sarasota, Florida, and has come out of the mind of Greg Wingo. Some would say a sadistic uh, race director. I wouldn't agree with them, but certainly he's been hugely imaginative and he has sort of ignited the imagination of race directors across the world. And this year it was a really exciting event. But before we got to talk about it, I asked Greg to explain the format of Last Paddler Standing. It's based on a designated loop distance that you have to complete within a one hour time frame. So for Last Paddler Standing, that's 3.33 miles. Um, and that loop is done within a one hour time frame, starting at the top of each hour. And racers have to finish the loop in that hour. And then however much time they have between when they finish and the top of the next hour is their recovery time, their, their downtime, their eating time, everything resting. And then starting immediately at the top of the next hour, you go out and do the loop again. And it lasts until everybody quits but one person. Uh, and that's where you get the name Last Paddler Standing. So it is possible that the race could win if uh, every racer out on a loop were to time out uh, and not make it back within the one hour time frame. It's less likely to happen within the first 48 hours of the race because that distance is pretty achievable for everyone to to finish within an hour uh but after the 48 hour time frame at 49 hours and going forward the distance of the loop actually increases to just under five miles so that becomes pretty difficult and after having been doing the race for 48 hours suddenly having that much of a, a distance added in can uh very potentially have it where no one can finish the loop. And if that were to occur, then the race would win. Uh, and hopefully we never see that happen, but it is possible. I asked Greg to try and explain what it was that he thinks that makes this sort of race so compulsive. I believe in community when it comes to the races that I create. And um, it's pretty simple math which is the more people you have in the race the harder it is to get to know everybody the harder it is to truly create that sense of community and so i do try to design my races where i get to know everybody and i get to uh, become friends with them and, and feel like we're part of this big family so that is really important i think that right now that exists more in the 
ultra endurance paddling world than, than any of the other ones. Um, there are fewer people attempting these distances. And so that does foster a, a greater sense of community. And, and it's really important that, that I create races that, that have that occur. I then asked Greg to talk us through the final section of the race, because as it reached 48 hours, there were still five paddlers standing. Yes, it was uh, five racers, uh, four men and one woman, our, our furthest distance female ever, Lindsay Tilton. Uh, and at the 48 hour mark, she actually decided not to continue on to what is being affectionately called the super loop. Uh, with uh, the 49th. So Lindsay bowed out at that, which left us with four racers. Only two were able to complete it within that uh, one hour period, which were our final two. Uh, but the other two, Bruce Smith and John Nippers, uh, gave a great effort. And John is actually was the, was last year's assist. And so he's, he has the cumulative most loops ever completed in last paddler standing. It was, it was, um, it was an emotional roller coaster, uh, particularly within the last couple of hours. Um, there were storylines all over the place with the way the race was was finishing out. And for anyone that didn't see the finish, we had quite possibly the greatest example of sportsmanship that we've ever seen uh, in paddleboarding uh, at the end of the race with uh, the second place person alex who is officially called the assist he bowed out of the race to allow blake the winner to do the final loop on his own uh knowing that if they had both gone out it would have required another loop beyond that for a finisher and it's very potentially could have been the race that would have won so it was a really cool moment uh, at the end of the race uh, and i think uh, everybody that got to watch it really you know, really felt for Alex as well as being proud of Blake. So Sarah, we were both following this um, minute by minute, but uh, what a finish. Oh, I tell you, I mean, the whole race is, you know, when you tell someone about it or you watch, you're watching it, you go, this is, this should not be the most exciting race in the world, but truly, truly, it really is. And the end, you know, the race concept is brilliant and very exciting but the end this year, which we obviously didn't have last year, was just mind blowing. It was just amazing. And to have one of our own as well in the mix made it more exciting. Of course it did. We all we we all had our favorites. You know, some of these people, we, you know, we've never heard of. You know, had you heard of Blake Carmichael before this? So that that last moment um, of reaching that 48 hours and then for Lindsay to then stop, I mean, you know, as a woman, I wanted Lindsay to carry on and she'd done 48 laps. I mean, what a woman to to be able to do that. And at, at lap 48, Lindsay said, I'm done. I finished. And we're like, oh, no, no, but yes, how brilliant. You know, it's like a, a sort of double-edged sword, isn't it? You want her to go on, but to make that decision and to go I'm done I've done what I came here to do and I've done and the respect she got from that was just incredible so Lindsay out at lap 48 you then had that moment where you needed to you know they needed to step it up because suddenly we're going from 3.33 
miles approximately mm. to five, five miles, mm. so, you know, 8K. And, and um, you know, after 48 hours of paddling mm. uh, with little or no rest, little or no sleep, the food, you know, intake would have been difficult. You just can't imagine. But here we are. We're on, you know, lap 48 and we've got four four players in it. We've got Blake Carmichael, this new young man who none of us have ever heard of. Clearly very, very talented. You've got Alex um, Samoana, which, you know, last year we watched Alex fall asleep on, I can't remember what, lap, lap 46, lap 44. He pressed the wrong, bu- the wrong button on his phone and he slept through the alarm and he missed he missed the cutoff and he was devastated because he he was still, you know, had energy to burn. So to see him in that last, you know, to be to be up there as well was just really lovely. Um, and then you had John Nippers, you know, who's just all over the Alabama uh, 650 and, you know, was here last year and just obviously a real, real legend. Again, do we in the UK know enough about him? I don't think we do. And then you had our very own Bruce Smith, you know, for Bruce to get to 48. We never doubted him, but to actually see him. So now we're in the situation where these guys have got to paddle fast, you know, for that for that lap. And you are just willing, willing them to a be able to complete that lap. If no one had completed that lap, the race would have won. Mm. No one would have won because as as uh, Greg said in the rules, you have to complete that one last lap on your own. So we had four men racing as fast as possible around that newly extended lap. You had John Nippers on a 19 and a half foot board. You had the other three just, just gunning for it. Um, and at the end of that lap, we had two men who finished that lap within the time and quite well within the time, actually. You had Blake and Alex. And unfortunately for John and Bruce, they just missed the cut. Mm. So their race ended again on 48 lap. Now you had two men on the beach, you know, they had a few minutes to play with and they're off. And then you had this truly beautiful moment. You get these moments in, I guess, all sports, but this one was in, you know, stand up paddleboarding, which is what we love. And you had a beautiful moment with the boys Alex and Blake sat on the beach, gathering their thoughts to think about their next lap. And Alex came over to Blake, sat with him, spoke with him. And basically, Alex was saying to Blake, have you got this? Can you can you do this lap? And Blake said, yes, I can do this lap. And Alex said, well, please take this lap. I am giving you this and you will finish on your own. You will have that last lap that you have to do on your own. And it was just, you know, it almost makes me want to tear up talking about it now because it was a truly beautiful moment. Because, again, I was like, no, Alex, <laughs> no, because I really, you know, once Bruce had gone out of the mix, I really wanted Alex to win because of what happened last year. But he's done this precious, beautiful thing for this man. And they, you know, and then you learn that they know each other. They paddle together. Blake was paddling on Alex's old board. You know, there's this huge connection. It's not just a random thing. So massive hugs and off Blake goes. But now you have another twist. Will Blake actually make the cut? If he didn't make it in that time, 
the race would win. <laughs> this is why it's such an utterly, utterly fascinating race. And I love it, love it, love it to bits. But in the end, you had this young man, again, the youngest person won it last year, the youngest person won it. Um, and this year, the youngest person won it. And what a win. What a what a beautiful win for him and what a beautiful thing for Alex to do. He didn't give him the race, that's for sure, because Blake's up there with him. But he just said, I'm stopping now. Please go ahead. Just beautiful, beautiful racing and beautiful people. Love it. it. Love it, love it, love it. It was. It was spectacular. And I think in racing terms, I kind of think of it a bit like a cricket test match. Those uh, people listening in in the States probably won't know what I'm referring to here, but it's basically a five-day game of baseball. And uh, these longer-form races are just a great opportunity as the drama and the narrative and the journey and the stories just play out. And it's it's the same for... uh, last paddler standing it is a very exciting race you know i certainly experienced a lot of that in sat 12 and certainly for for yukon as well there's uh, you know an opportunity to to meet and learn about the, the paddlers and their journeys as, as they continue but that was just a, a a beautiful and an epic story and i think it really finished the year off on a on a beautiful note really it was uh, i felt quite exhausted after that and uh, i was just watching the the live stream um but no it it was a a perfect finish yeah absolutely and um chris parker from sup racer once said um that he believed that the endurance races would be the key to the future of sup racing because they hold stories so if you're doing a 10k you go and do your 10k there's generally not so much of a story but with these endurance races and, you know, the Yukon and, and this race, Last Paddler Standing Sub-12, there's always a story in there and, and the story can be incredible. And that's what that's what makes it more of a race. Um, and I think he's absolutely right about that. And this one in particular definitely um, just was was a, a, a wonderful watch. The slowest race in the world almost, <laughs> but the most exciting to watch. Finally, I asked Greg about his plans for 2024 holding last paddler standing again in 2024 uh it's gotten a lot of interest internationally Um, and so we're announcing in january all the details for the 2024 race so i would encourage everybody to keep uh watching the last paddler standing page uh as well as great alabama 650 which is the longest paddle race in the united states um that is already open for registration and we have we have uh, a bunch of paddleboarders about signing up for that race. Uh, this past year's edition was the first time we ever had anybody on a board finish the race. And so we actually had two finishers that were on a board this year. So that was pretty epic. But yeah, it's, it's a busy 2024 coming up. And there's other exciting things that I'll be announcing uh, at the beginning of the year, other other race opportunities as well some new races coming up uh, here pretty soon you're actually the first one that i've mentioned that to. well what a year so that's it we wrap up another year in the the sup world but before we finish i wanted to say a personal thank you to a few people first of all uh, my wife sarah for supporting me around all of this sup talk uh, to you sarah i've loved our collaborations this year and also to a couple of other people, um, Craig Sawyer has um, provided 
to a degree the narrative throughout the year as well because he seems to have competed at every single endurance event this year um he competed in 11 cities last paddle of standing but if it wasn't for a random chat i had with him at sup 12 then i probably wouldn't have done that the yukon season so uh, a big thank you um, to him and finally last but not least a huge thank you to my paddle buddy my paddle brother sean scott who has made a couple of appearances um, as an expert on the pod in the past but uh, wishing you claire and freddie a very happy 2024 you've been a huge inspiration to me mate right so that's all my oscar winning thank yous um any um any special mentions you'd like to make sarah absolutely first and foremost to you simon it's been it's always a pleasure to work with you. It's not work, is it? It's just great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're both seeing off the same page for lots of things. Um, and it really is great to collaborate with you. And long may it carry on into 2024. I've really enjoyed being part of your your journey as well. Anthony, of course, because he's uh, he's just there for me. He's been there for me for about 11 years um, on, you know, paddleboarding world. So uh, following me to races, carrying a camera, supporting me. Um, I've tried to give him a bit of time off for good behaviour, but I keep having to draw him back in again. So thank you so much to Anthony. Martin Rendell for stepping into um, a Sup Junkie t-shirt for the uh, ICF Worlds in Thailand. We did that very much last minute, but he was utterly brilliant. He did some great interviews um and he brought back some great news from uh thailand so thank you martin um and just everybody who supports uh junkie as most of you will know we've had a beloved facebook account hacked um this year so um that's been a bit traumatic so trying to draw people back um into uh following our new page which is on facebook subjunkie.uk currently um but all those people who send messages of thanks and support to us, it's its just really lovely. We love what we do. We're obsessed. You know we're obsessed. Um, and we just try and bring news to you of all the great and exciting things in our sub world, be that racing or adventures. And, yeah, it's been its been great. 2023 has been a great ride. Let's, let's hope for another one in 2024. Amazing. Thanks, Sarah. That is now a wrap. Wishing all of our listeners uh, all the best as we finish this 2023 and we'll be back in 2024 and until then we will see you on the water 